All uh, right. Testing, testing. Can you hear me? I can hear I can, you. I can hear you too. Okay. Let's do this. Okay. All right. Cool. So, of course, I can edit this front part out yeah. off if I want to. Okay. Uh, why don't you start your intro, and if you have any news or anything, like updates, go ahead and do that, and then um, we can... I wish I, I wish I had a format, but I don't really. I guess uh, I'll just do an intro. All right. All right. Hello all, and welcome to another episode of the Paleo Podcast. It's been a while, obviously, since I've last uploaded one of these podcasts. Got a new phone, and hopefully the audio is a little better than uh, was been seen previously on previous uh, episodes. Uh, but as I promised, we got another guest. It's a good friend of mine, Andrew. Uh, he's on the other line there. Uh, this is... This is the part where you can say hello, Andrew. Hey, Aiden. Uh, thanks for having me on your podcast. Uh, it's really exciting because this is the first episode. So I'm um, glad to be here. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no I guess uh, we're like just going to talk about our um, personal journey in paleontology. And then yeah. um, like if you have any questions or like stuff for me. I'd be happy to answer it because yeah, we're I, both I, I, we're both experts, you know. We're both amateur experts, but we know everything. We're both, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of course. We don't know everything, obviously, but we're 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 trying our best out there, really. Yeah. Um. So you guys kind of know a little bit about my background. I guess I'll give a little updated biography. Well, I'm an amateur paleontologist here in the Central Florida area. I work with um many um, paleontological and natural history science. Um relate institutions such as zoos and museums. Um, mostly, I'm connected with the Brevard Museum of History and Natural Sciences in Cocoa Beach in Florida, uh, as Andrew is as well. Um, I also am connected with none other than the dinosaur store, um, also in Cocoa Beach. But uh, I work with many labs, institutions, all magic and floor ball across the, really all, all across the globe now. Um, so I guess that's a good brief way to put what I do. Um, Andrew, if you want to go ahead and do like a little bio on yourself as of yeah, right now. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been interested in paleontology and dinosaurs since like the summer of 2013. Um, and my knowledge definitely isn't as extensive as yours, probably. I'm more of like an amateur interest type person. Um, but, you know, I do a lot of like paleo art. I like to read about uh, science and paleontology in specific. Um, and I also volunteer at the Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science. I've met a lot of uh, scientists and people involved, not only in uh, paleontology, but also archaeology and other um, more like ancient science fields. So that's great. And then uh, the last like year or so, I've been friends with you, Aiden, and we've gone fossil hunting together and visited a lot of like different uh, fossil shops and labs and stuff like that. So uh, it's been nice because I've been getting more like hands-on experience with paleontology and um, yeah, that's it pretty much. I, I uh, for the most part like to be the more like the information guy, you know, I, I read and research as much as I can, especially about new discoveries. So I like to keep updated on uh 
paleontology news and whatever else is happening in the scientific community. I like to have a, a good grasp on that. Right. All right. Um, well, before I go on, I'll, I would just like to mention that in, if you, if any of you viewers out here, if you ever see a video um, of me or Andrew talk about a certain subject, and in fact, Andrew actually sounds a lot more professional when he actually talks about stuff. Um, <laughs> I think, seriously, you do. I think um, you have a more um, academic way of talking in the sense where I have the more urbanistic type of laid back way of explaining things. I mean, you, you um, like, I think you have a more natural science background than in, in paleontology in general. I think it's, I, I don't know, maybe it's just you have more biological, like more, a more scientific background than just paleontology. Yeah, yeah, so I think I think that's I think that's pretty accurate because yeah, um, yeah. I like to not only draw dinosaurs and, and read about them and stuff, but I'm also like yeah, into yeah. nature photography and modern animals, especially reptiles. Um, so, you know, biology and geology and other earth sciences are also fields I'm interested in. Um, so yeah, I think it is it is pretty fair to say like I'm I'm more of like a bookish guy. So I've I've read so much about paleontology in, in the last couple of years since I've been interested. So yeah, I've, I've definitely acquired a lot of facts that are stuck in my head now, but you, Aiden, you're like, you've got so many connections with, um, you know, professional paleontologists, people who work in making like dinosaur animatronics, you know, people who sell fossils. So you've got really good connections. And, um, also you're saying you're, you're more like, a uh, what was the word urbanistic or something? Yeah, more relaxed. I, and I and the way I kind of explain it is I I try to make my way of educating people a little more relatable. Right. And, yeah. Of, you know, that that ties in really nice with something I wanted to talk about, which was like science communication and social media. Yeah. It it really helps if you're trying to educate the public about science, you know, to have that like personality, uh, that relatability, but also like hands-on experience and, and good people skills. So, you know, you, you, you know how to network with people and uh, uh, Precisely. broaden your, 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 uh, I don't know, your, I guess your grasp on the subject. Yeah. I was, I was trying to sound fancy there. I, I don't know if you caught that or not. But... <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, uh, go ahead. Oh, um, I was going to kind of just go into like some big projects that you and I have done just to show things, just to show the viewers, uh, you know, certain things that we've done. And I guess this can kind of um, be used as an update in a way. Uh, we'll talk about, you know, the stuff we've been, that's been going on at the museums and programs we're starting or like things we've been like in our projects. Um, the really big project that you and I have been working on for quite some time now. Um, well, it's been a while since we last worked on it, of course, just because of scheduling and stuff. But the one big project that you and I did back in December uh, that we're still continuing on. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of go into that first before we kind of go into our list that we have. Um, I'm trying to think back all the way to summer now. Um, more towards museum directed uh programs and events that we did and such. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I guess I'll give a little background about the museum first of all. Um, yeah, yeah. 
the Bavard Museum of History and Natural Science is a, a small history and natural science museum in Cocoa, Florida. And it's kind of tucked into a little neighborhood. Uh, it's not too far away from the yeah. Eastern Florida State College campus in Cocoa. Um, but it's, it's in an unusual place, so a lot of people might not know about it or, or realize it's there. And uh, we've got some really nice exhibits there. It mostly focuses on local Florida history. Um, we have a, f- a fantastic exhibit of the Windover Archaeological Site up in Titusville, Florida. And uh, that's, that's one of the best archaeological sites in the world, let alone North America. Uh, it, I highly recommend the viewers go research some more about it. It's, it's more archaeology focused, so I won't talk about it too much. But it's a great, great exhibit. Uh, we also have an Ice Age hall with some nice um, mounts of Ice Age mammals that lived in Florida. And then we have some great exhibits of Florida history throughout the rest of the museum. So I've been volunteering there for, I think, close to a year as a docent. And that's how I met Aiden. And together, we've just been trying to brainstorm and, and get some new ideas for like exhibits for the museum because... Um, we realized, you know, there were some like slight inaccuracies in some of the signs, like on the stuff in the museum. And the museum director, the new one there, she was also talking about that. And she was uh, looking for our input because we know, you know, we're both like amateur paleo nerds, I guess. So yeah. that, that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And then Aiden, Aiden's been really the main guy behind all this, though. He's been the one coming up with all the great ideas and, and the plans That's and everything. Right. So. Um, you know, uh, go elaborate some more on that, Aiden. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just it's a really nice museum. Um, it's of course, don't expect the Smithsonian going in there. It's not that. It's a really nice little local museum that I could go and just learn some history about. It does its job very well. Um, but yeah, um, I actually didn't know you're you've really been around the museum as long as I have, I guess. Um, I think I said a year. It might not be that long. It might be more like seven or eight months, but it feels like a year. I think because I remember I've been like connected to the, for to the museum for about a year now. So maybe you and I started at the same time. But it's interesting to um see the change. I mean, you could kind of agree with this. I'm um, going into the museum now and uh now and um in terms of guest interaction, the environment, the overall setting of the museum. Um, in comparison to wh- when we first started, of course, you know, we were new. Um, both right. of us and I, I don't take new. credit for any of the major improvements in the museum. That's all on our uh, museum yeah. director, Holly Baker. She's really great. Um, and she's been like coordinating so many cool events there at the museum. And then also we have a bunch of other great docents there. Uh, and they're really like passionate about what they do. So um it's, it's it's great to see them communicating like science and history to the public and uh, especially yeah. like school kids and stuff. It's it's fun to um, like lead tours for younger people around the museum. Right. Um, but it's actually kind of interesting because really before you and I went there, they didn't really have someone that was so focused on on uh, paleontology and stuff more directly focused on paleontology. Yep. Uh, of course, when you were there when you started. Uh, of course, I think I like I've known um, like uh, some other people there for a little longer before I started there. Um, 
so of course that's what I'm saying. Like I think I've been there about a year now. So of course I didn't volunteer. Um, a year ago, but I got connected with them about a year ago and stuff. So I if that makes sense. But uh, it was interesting because of course you like archaeology and stuff. And I know like when you when you and I first met, you're you're doing a lot of those things for like Wendover and some of the other Florida <laughs> history exhibits. But it's like uh, since I came in, all the all both of our focus um in terms of the museum kind of started really shifting. I'm not gonna say somewhat, but really shifted towards the paleontology um side of it all, just because it wasn't. I think it just hasn't been attended to a long time, and it was really interesting to, to kind of help um, enhance the guest experience in terms of that ice age hall, and and make improvements and stuff, and help out um, along the way with that through um, just doing basic like school tours, like you mentioned earlier, um, to us bringing in a table and setting up some of our own fossils to kind of enhance the overall. Um, get the experience. Yeah, but, and uh, it, you have like a ridiculous, ridiculously huge collection of fossils, and it's great to see like bring them all in, or some of them, you know, just a small fraction of them, really. And you know, they fill up like a couple tables. And um, you know, what we do is we usually just have like people come in. They can like sometimes touch some of the fossils if they're not like really delicate, or uh, if they're casts of actual fossils. And it's cool to see like people be amazed by these remains of animals that lived millions of years ago you know they have like a real impact on people and they get them interested in in science and in the bigger world around them which is great and that's really the purpose of science communication uh so yeah, exactly. i'm glad we're both part of that yeah i mean we i i mean you could probably see a dramatic change in terms of the guest overall guest experience in terms of just in terms of what 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 we've seen in the ICH Hall or the Placency Hall or whatever you want to call it, I think it's it's I think people really enjoy the hall more. Um, when, whenever we do stuff like that, in comparison to just it being some empty hall, because um, granted a lot of the stuff in there is in there without no context, so that's why we're you know there and we try to help out with that very uh, much. And and I I I feel safe to say that you and I have. Um, kind of. I'm trying to figure out. I literally just had had a way of saying that on my mind, but uh, we've brought like, like we've brought kind of like a new energy there. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that's right. Yeah, that's 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 that one. So a better way. Yeah. Better than how I I was originally thinking. Um, but uh, I don't know if you remember this, the paleontology department, which is somewhat still there it's the sign's still up there yeah uh we well for context for some of the, the listeners me and Aiden yeah. um created kind of like a, an unofficial paleontology department at the museum it was just Aiden and I and you know we were just going through like some of the archived stuff in the museum collection yeah uh, and we we eventually stopped because um, we learned that technically we're not allowed up in the, the archives of the museum, even though the director was original. Now I am. Yeah. Now I am. But uh, not nah, um. But yeah, <laughs> it's still kind of a thing, I guess. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not, yeah. Yeah. First of all, the signs still up there. The signs still <laughs> up there. I'll exactly. Right. Um, but uh. 
I think you know, kind of. The t- I think the better way to put it is that we are the paleontology crew there. Um, in addition, in addition to the paleontology crew, uh, which is kind of in conjunction with my group, the Galley Fossil Association, um, that I started up at my local, at uh, the local high school, um, is um, of course you ha- we have um, you and me are are part of it. Then we also have Ryan. Um, shout out to him who also comes in. Uh, he has also very, very, um, big, very large amount of knowledge on um, certain more towards on Pleistocene of Florida, I think, because he's done actually volunteering with the Florida Museum and stuff um, in the past. Then, of course, we have Gabe and stuff, uh, who also has a very large extent on uh, Pleistocene um, paleontology in, in general. Yeah, and, and speaking of uh, the Pleistocene, why don't we talk a little bit about that time when we went fossil hunting in uh, Melbourne in the river? Yeah, yeah. So, um, how long ago was that? Do you remember? It was like uh, it was last year. It was towards the end of last year. So I think like uh, November, yeah. maybe. November. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so I have this local site um, that I have been hunting for over a year now. Um, around a year and a half actually at this point and uh it's it's interesting it's this one spot of course i'm not gonna give the actual nickname for it because it's a, I don't want it's people... a secret fossil place that's all you need to know <laughs> yeah it's a secret site i'm not gonna say if it was in a river or on a land site or anything uh but the place is so easy to access <laughs> i mean you could agree with me yeah. Um. On that one, but uh. But no, it's this one site where we found so many fossils of different Pleistocene animals from the late Pleistocene, so around uh twenty to ten thousand years ago. So right about the the last era there, the Pleistocene, aka the Hell Creek Formation of Florida. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To all to all the paleo nerds that just laughed. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, I, we haven't found any like um, huge, intact, complete bones. At least I yeah, have. No. But it's it's all fragments, um, and, and it's mixed in with a lot of modern animal bones, and they're hard to tell apart sometimes. Uh, but the the process is really interesting because when you think of fossil hunting, typically you imagine walking around in some dusky badland, you know, chipping away at little rocks on the ground, but the hammer. In, right in Florida, it's really different because Florida is the flattest state in the United States. Uh, so there's no real big geological formations in general. So the only way you can actually access older strata is by going into rivers which cut through those strata. And um, you have to get like some wading boots. And my boots weren't tall enough or, or, or long yeah. enough this one time we went. So I ended up getting soaked. Uh, so that's a note to the viewer or the listeners. If you go fossil hunting in Florida, bring really good boots. But yeah, you take shovelfuls of the sediment off of the bottom of the stream or river and dump them into a sifter. And the sifter that Aiden made is really clever. It has like some of those pool noodles attached to it so it can float in the water. Um, and you just shake, <laughs> shake, you shake the sediment and you'll find little tiny black pieces of bone, um, fish teeth fish scales uh, i found a bunch of yeah. turtle scoots and that's exciting because i love turtles so uh yeah it, it's, it's fun to do but 
definitely come prepared and uh, you'll have a really unique and interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, to kind of elaborate, I'm actually going to Arcadia tomorrow with um, someone to uh, go hunting. Oh, cool. What What are you going to be like hunting for? What era or time period? I think I'm trying to change his mind because uh, I really want to hunt some really big, decent Pleistocene spots, but it's a, right, right now it's like a mix, but it has a lot of myosin exposure so in other words i just want man anyways <laughs> uh but yeah i mean that was a really fun time that was your first time really actually going on a dedicated fossil hunt and stuff and we found a lot of really cool stuff um oh, yeah. we found i think the, the biggest item in terms of actual size that we found there uh i thought you weren't with me it was actually my brother who found it it was a uh really awesome um it was in rough shape but i mean it was awesome in terms of what it was it's a it was a mammoth vertebra uh that they have all the processes on it i thought it was sloth um because of the size but no after looking at it, it's actually a juvenile mammoth wow that's um, pretty cool very cool it, actually and i think it was only around six eight inches in diameter so i mean it wasn't oh. very big so just to just for the viewers, just so you get a size, a sense of size of the stuff we're pulling out here isn't too big. Um, and I think this is actually a good time to kind of go into the big project that we uh, did back in over uh, Christmas break of last year, merging into this year. With the, um, all the uh, yep. Ice Age bones, yep. especially like the horse ones. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. fun. So um, I don't remember where the site was that these fossils were from. Maybe you, you remember yeah, yeah. So, um, can I'll give a little bit of the backstory behind it all. Yeah. Um, so it was you and me, and we were at um one of the labs that we work with, and uh, what was interesting was we were just trying to find stuff to do at that point. We stopped in, and we had a lot of time to kill, so we're like, shoot, let's just find something to do. And uh, for the longest time, um, we've had these tubs full of these miscellaneous, uh, broken bits and ends of um megafauna bone mostly from from why i saw originally what were horse bones and such uh and uh yeah so we're like all right you know what um we could do a fun project and we could actually go through and search through all these bones and kind of store them out and kind of learn skeletal anatomy um kind of train our eyes to kind of learn how to identify fossils better in terms of species in terms of proximal distillance all that fun anatomy stuff yes um, i learned far more about the arm and leg structure of ungulate mammals than i ever wanted to I, one day I, <laughs> but I, I, it, I it was fun and then uh, t- if uh, you want tell them about the really interesting thing that we found from the uh, bear oh so, uh, oh spoilers <laughs> anyways <laughs> uh, uh but anyway so to kind of go through it we are um Actually, I, I totally did not answer the question that um you that you kind of mentioned earlier. All the fossils were actually found in the shell pit or in the Venice Beach area. Um, oh, okay. Surprise, surprise. Huh. But uh, anyways, uh, um, we f- come started sorting through all the bones, and we mostly found their limb bones. Um, like you mentioned earlier. Um, but not only from horses, but we also found them from uh extinct species of llamas and um. 
camel lids. I almost said camels, but that's that's that that whole discussion for a whole other episode. Um, oh yeah, but uh, I think maybe some bison, maybe some of the bones were kind of iffy to tell, but the majority of it was. I think there were and... some some bison teeth, um, or or some type of large bovid, definitely. Yeah, 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 um, but but the majority of it was definitely horse and llama um, remains. But then the really cool piece was in in the original first cardboard flat of bone that we started showing through. There's this one weird bone in there that I knew was a humerus. I I knew it was a humerus because for all the people out there who know anatomy, a humerus on one animal looks very similar to another animal. You basically. If you know what humerus looks like, it's it's kind of universal in terms of shape. I mean, you could kind of do yeah. it. Evolution is a conservative process. It doesn't make extra stuff if it doesn't have to. If it works, you know, no need for more innovation. Remember, remember what I mentioned earlier about you being way more academic in your talk? <laughs> that, that is a perfect example. Anyway, um, but uh, anyways... There's a dog barking. Uh, anywho, the um, anyway, so um, our our main uh, the head of the lab, also known as Doctor Dino, if you heard of the name before, um, walks in, and uh, he said, and we're we asked him, hey, do you have any more reference books that we can kind of relate to? Um, we were doing fairly good at that point, but we really wanted to make sure that we knew what we were looking at. Uh. And so he hands me this one book on um, Florida fossils and such. And I flip to one page um, after looking at the one humorous, this mysterious humorous that was um, kind of separated from all the the remainder of the horse and llama bones. And uh, I kind of freaked out. I freaked out quite a bit. Um, Andrew, you you could you could definitely yeah, you were really excited, and I, I was impressed. Like I would have never recognized what that bone was because I'm I'm not too good at mammal anatomy. But uh, yeah, go ahead, keep going. But uh, yeah, come to find out that it was actually the humerus from a short-faced bear, not black bear, not um brown bear or grizzly bear, whatever, or any prehistoric bear. I know half of those species weren't around at the time. Uh, of the Pleistocene, but it was indeed the Arctodus species um, short-faced bear um, humerus, and it was awesome because head of the lab walks over, he's freaking out as well, and uh, he he tells us at that point that all these bones actually came from, that's when we found out they actually all came from one site, uh, and that's where things got interesting, because we're like, oh snap! How how many more? Um, how much more short-faced bear bones there are in there? Um, that we still ha- um had to find out. Um, and there re- weren't really any other ones. Um, in fact, at the at a, I actually came across another one. Um, within like the past month and a half, another humerus actually. It was only one of the. Um, it was the proximal, and to a humorous mm. anyways the um but yeah actually i think we yeah we found a gator femur in there um and we also found probably an owner from a uh american lion slash uh 
Panthers or Jaguar. Some type of look. So um, that was, yeah. yeah, some some large feline, way too big to be smiled on. Um, we think, unless it's some weird, obscure smiled on species. But yeah, we uh did that. And I don't know if you want to kind of elaborate on anything I said. Uh, well, I was just thinking um, most of the bones there were from legs, like horse metatarsals, horse metacarpals, llama feet, yep. that type of stuff. And when you think about it, why would all those bones be preserved and not others? Well, those bones bear the weight of an animal. So they're going to be really dense to support all that weight. They're going to be more durable. Uh, and if these animals are falling into like uh, sinkholes and pits, you know, they're going to be broken up and, and damaged over time. But the really right. durable bones like a femur or um, a tibia, they're going to survive probably, especially the femoral heads. There were a lot of those from all kinds of animals. Those are really, I guess they're, yeah. they're solidly built bones. Um, so it's interesting yeah. how there's kind of like a preservation bias in these Ice Age fossils. Kind of elaborate on that I actually have a llama red bone. I swear it's, it's broke on me five times within the past few months. Oh, wow. Um, just because of how fragile it is. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, and then, as you remember, we actually took two ends of a horse femur, and uh, I molded, or actually not molded, well, yeah, well, eventually we molded, but I sculpted the, um, the, the inner bits of a horse femur with the two original fossil um, distal and proximal ends. And we actually casted that, and we actually made an entire cast of a horse femur, um, based off of the, based off of real fossils, and, and um, in conjunction with the actual sculpting methods and such. So that was actually a really cool process. The entire process as a whole was good. Of course, you and I have a lot more work, um, as we didn't finish one bin of all that stuff. But and there were so many satisfying aha moments in that day. Like yeah. when you're looking through a guide of like fossil bones and you suddenly realize that this process on this end of this femur matches the one in the book you get really excited and you realize hey i finally yeah. identified what this obscure unknown fossil belongs to what animal it's from and, and then you know you you learn so much like intuitively just from getting a little hands-on experience like with what i was talking about the the preservation bias with the leg bones um you know i wouldn't have really realize that just by reading a book but if i look at all these fossils and realize hey there seem to be kind of like just one part of the animal that's being preserved more than the others you know kind of like that clicks in your head so it's really nice to get hands-on science experience and that ties into what we do at the museum you know we try to provide hands-on experience especially for kids to get them interested in science and help them to like have aha moments and and to realize yeah Um, and now that we're half an hour into our, uh, into our thing, um, uh, those are the, really the main big projects. And I think that's kind of, I think that's a good update. <laughs> I think that's a good update. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you have your list set up and stuff? Of I think we covered, like, most of the topics. topics. Um, I think, like. But just to kind of actually, like, directly talk about. Yeah, uh, I think the most important thing we should cover is, like, um, uh, social media and paleontology and like um, uh, science communication and also how to become a paleontologist. Yes. You know, light topics like yeah. that. It shouldn't take too long. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it depends, because, I mean, I got, I would like to start off on, like, the social media aspect of paleontology and the whole psychom, yeah. um science communication aspect of social media. Yeah, so tell us um, more about that, because you have a really strong presence, especially on Instagram, um, and, you know, you're always doing live streams and making IGTV videos about your projects, so uh, talk to us about, like, what your experiences with social media and science communication and um like yeah, what are yeah. some what are some like insights you've gained from it yeah so uh, i mean as i think i've been on instagram for three years now um i really didn't do paleontology until i actually started um um well actually a lot of the stuff i've done like in terms of my connections and all the big projects have only been done in like two and a half years that's it um two and a half yeah almost maybe almost three years now but i mean it was if you go really back on my instagram i didn't post any dinosaur stuff at all really for like the first year i think my first post was actually on um on my birthday in 2017 uh where i was at the dinosaur store in um coco and i and i said and I remember the caption says, "Confession, I'm a dinosaur nerd," and it's me saying, "I'm the Giganotosaurus skeleton." And stuff. and that, and from that point on, uh, there's all the you you'll see all the big dinosaur related posts and stuff. Then of course I started volunteering at the zoo and stuff um, with the dinosaur exhibit. Uh, shout out to uh, Billings Productions, aka the Dinosaur Company. Um, and uh, it's interesting because I mean I'll post just regular pictures and maybe some like cool updates um, once in a while. But uh, it's interesting because I I really um, noticed this past year, um, starting the beginning of like 2019, uh, actually how much of an impact I've made on the entire um, paleontological natural science side of the Instagram community. Granted, I actually just beat the thousand followers, so I mean, I, I'm congratulations. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm so good, and I yet to do that 1,000 follower thank you post. Put that add on that on to the things I need to do, but uh, the um, it's interesting. I mean, granted, I don't have a very large following. It, um, in comparison to the the very large um, uh, paleontological natural science related pages out there, um. But I feel like I do, I do, I do a really good job with what I have. Because I mean, it, um, I've been tagged in a lot of posts by by larger pages, so that's why I'm saying like I think I've impacted the the psychom slash. Well, I mean, I'm not so much psychom, but entire paleontology, yeah. social media aspect of. Well, I, th I think um, you're like that. um a good bridge between the SciComm Instagram accounts and just people who are like, have a personal account because, you know, you post yeah, science yeah. stuff, but also, you know, stuff from your regular everyday life. So yeah, yeah. your followers who are not really big on science, they might start getting interested in it because they see, yeah, normal people like you and me are passionate about science and then they might get interested mm -hmm. in uh, deeper subjects, you know, later on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it really didn't dawn on me until um this one page um and in fact I'm looking at their sticker right now. Uh, they've been awesome. We've been 
to know each other. Actually, I think I was one of the first people they followed, and it's just this is this is the um the main point I really want him on. It's this um channel, well not channel, um but page on there called Why Dinosaurs. Um, Andrew, you probably heard of them. Wait. I think I've actually directed you to actually go follow them and stuff. But uh, I remember them following at the beginning of um actually when they first started out on Instagram um in February 2019 and uh the interesting thing was is I actually don't think I followed them back initially I don't think I followed them back um that's the funny thing about it um I don't think I was following a lot of the people back at the time just so I could show people hey you know I have a really nice follower to actual following ratio and blah 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 but uh of course, now I really do follow them. Um, but the really cool thing is, is um, of course now, if you go on their page, they're actually um, it's a father and son, James and Tony, uh, who are making a documentary on the question of why dinosaurs. That's of course hence the name of their page, and uh, they've really kind of accepted. I think they actually. Uh, are the reason why I feel this way in terms of my stance on social media is because of them. Um, so if James or Tony is listening to this right now, thank you. Uh, but uh, I mean, I they, I, it's interesting, um, and I I don't think there's really good way to explain um, kind of the impact they've done because as soon as they tag me in their one post, all these other um, you know, decently sized um, paleontological related pages start following me, and now I'm being put in group chats um, with um, all these other fossil hunters from all over the world. I mean, shout out to my one group chat from the Netherlands and the UK, uh, who all they talk about is shark teeth. Um, anyways, um, it's interesting though to see that big jump, and it's like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. I, I think I kind of view my stance on uh, social media in terms of science communication stuff way differently than I did a year ago. Um, now, I know, Andrew, your, your Instagram is more of a, you know, personal account, but of course you post um, science stuff um, once in a while. So I'm going to stop talking and let you talk for a little bit. Yeah, uh, I do have a science-focused page. It's It's a mix of paleo art and modern nature photography it's called animographic um and i'm not currently active on it i've been trying to like you know reduce my social media consumption but i'll, I'll start posting on there in a little bit probably i've been building up my paleo art portfolio so i'll post some more stuff on there in a little bit um and yeah that's my main like social media outlet for my science stuff so if anyone's interested in seeing some mediocre paleo art and some pretty good nature photos, um, then go ahead and follow my account there on Instagram. And Yeah, I actually you have that account because you're following me on your regular account. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know you have that. And, and then uh, the other thing I want to talk about is like um, paleo art because it's such an important uh conduit for people to understand dinosaurs and other extinct animals because we can look at fossils all day and you know it's hard to imagine a living breathing animal moving a skeleton around 
in in some cases you have really well preserved fossils from like Lagerstaten fossil beds like in China or Germany and you know they're super well preserved so you can imagine what the animal looked like in real life but it helps to have sorry what was that go ahead you can, you can only imagine what the animal looked like to me yeah preservation of the remains can only be so good mm-hmm. you can, and of course in the news recently, of course, you have the uh, little dinosaur head that was found in amber, which I mean, kind of surpasses everything. It kind of contradicts everything I just said, but ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it's you can you can only get so far by yep. looking at skeleton. Yeah, and that's why paleo art's really important because uh, it, it gives you know an art an artist a chance to use their skill and their talent to bring something to life, and. Um, some of my favorite paleo artists that are active right now um, are Gabriel Ueto. I'm probably butchering his last name. I'm very sorry if he's listening, but uh, he has an Instagram ac- account. It's uh, Serpent Illis, and you should follow him. He's really good. He actually is based here in Florida. He has some awesome art, not only of extinct animals, but also modern reptiles and amphibians. And then another artist I like is Emily Willoughby. And... Um, I think her Twitter account is E.A. Willoughby, and her art is really beautiful. She does mostly birds and uh, other extinct bird-like dinosaurs. Her art's really good. And, um, and then there's, of course, like classic paleo artists like Charles R. Knight, and he created some of the finest paleo art in the world. Uh, it's I think there's some in the American Museum of Natural History. And uh, you'll see his art from time to time in older dinosaur books. He's a real he was a really good artist uh, at the turn of the 20th century. And um, uh, if I can like promote this one book, which was published a long time ago, back in 2000, it's called In the Presence of Dinosaurs. And uh, the artist who made the paintings for that book, Larry Felder, is incredibly talented. His paintings are so beautiful. They're oil paintings, but they look like photos. And the book um, goes through the natural history of North America during the time of the dinosaurs. And his art brings the text in the book to life because his dinosaurs and his prehistoric birds and pterosaurs, they're all so well um, painted. They just look beautiful. So yeah, paleo art's really nice. It's like, you know, some paleo artists are more like focusing on speculative stuff. They get into like um, the more creative aspect of and others are more into um, just rigid scientific accurate. accuracy. But I think that both perspectives are important. Yeah, I mean, of course, you're more involved in paleo art than I do. Um, of course, I do I do dabble in the paleo art world um, occasionally, but I don't do it probably as often. I don't usually just sit down with the journal. This is going on dinosaurs um, all of a sudden, but um, but no, I totally agree. The entire paleo aspect really brings a whole new depth to what our understanding of dinosaurs and stuff, and just pre and just prehistoric life in general. Um, what was next on our? List? I think we covered all the topics for the most part. Everything important. We're almost at the forty-five minute mark, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, shoot. Uh, any like final news or interesting 
things going on in terms of your scientific activities? I mean, not really. Um, not a lot of big dramatic news, I'd say. But at least I'm allowed to disclose. Uh, um, so this sounds like you're, you're going to yeah, have some yeah. updates for us in the future, though. <laughs> um, very late in the future. It's, it's it, I'm I'm currently on a project right now that's pretty big. I I think you know about it, but I'm not going to release it on yeah. here. Um, yeah, you know what it is. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's really it. And maybe in like another episode, we we'll start talking about uh certain topics of paleontology. So that I oh we missed one big one: how to become paleontologist. Oh yes, that's that's really important. Um, Aiden, since you're a little closer to that process than I am, why don't you talk about that? Um. All right. Well, of course, I'm not gonna. I can't. Hey, how to become a paleontologist? Granted, I'm not an official academic, um, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of uh, change the title to how to become an amateur paleontologist. Uh, and I think the really main thing, the the one main key you gotta have in order to become a an amateur paleontologist is have a really I think. The best way to play is have an open mind on natural history and and, and really the just have enough have an open mind on science. Um, of course, with especially with paleontology, because paleontology is never going to be really certain. Um, 90, 95, 95 to ninety nine percent of the time, you're not there's certain topics in paleontology that is that's never going to be solved. Um, so um, having an open mind is really important in, in learning more on stuff and not just sticking to your own um, certain beliefs and kind of listening to what other scientists have to say. Um, not just only paleontologists, but maybe like biologists and all these other um, science fields that may have something to contribute to paleontology. Um, I think the best way to actually describe what paleontology is, I think a lot of people call the gateway drugs to science and stuff, and that's true. Um, and uh, and uh, I, of course we'll go probably into that way on a different. Yeah, episode. that's like a whole episode of of like a fifty minute episode right there. I mean, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, we won't go into that. Um, but really, I think that's a really main key into becoming an amateur paleontologist. I've come across many many genres of people, if you want to call it. Um. Who I agree with, and some I don't, you know, necessarily agree with. Um, Nano Tyrannus. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I had to put it out there. Um, but uh, but of course I, I've, of course I have my my certain uh, beliefs on certain topics of paleontology, and then some people do, and of course I I I always listen to the other side, and sometimes I agree with it. After a while, sometimes I don't. Um, sometimes I'm very stubborn. Nano Tyrannus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> need a Nano Tyrannus but, episode uh, now, Aiden. Yeah, and that's that's gonna be an entire like at least half an hour rant on my part. Um, I look forward. To but I, I mean, with like even topics like that, I I try to keep it. I try to kind of see what the evidence from both sides of that debate. Um, but 
saying like to be to be able to give like actual steps towards being an anthropologist is really be exposed. Uh, number one, go to go to a museum, go to your local museum, and, and just kind of be submerged in that type of environment, um, and really get to know. Um, read every piece of signage, study every specimen, uh, and really um, view information that you may not know. And that I kind of use that uh, additionally when it comes to uh, actually um, referring to um, education through natural science and stuff. And that's, and I think the way to present that is called beyond the textbook. That's kind of my way of um, teaching it beyond the textbook. Tell, teach people something they know. But yet, um, additionally, tell, elaborate on that a little bit more so they actually learn something new every time um, you tell them something. Uh, and really, that's what your main goal should be whenever you're either going out to a museum, um, reading a book, uh, watching a documentary, watching a, a TV show. Um, I think. Would you like to elaborate on that a little um, bit more? Maybe just like in terms of the actual process of becoming a professional paleontologist, the typical uh, career path is you do a four-year bachelor's program, uh, usually would major in geology or biology, and there's so many subsets of those fields you can go into, but typically it's geology or biology, and then um, you would transfer... Uh, over to a master's program, which is like at least another two years of study, and you get your master's degree in some field of paleontology, and then you could go even further to, towards getting a PhD, but that's the general path, and then there's a lot of career options as a paleontologist. You could become like a, a consultant for different construction companies or oil companies. You know, they need to survey areas for um, mineral purposes, for if they're going to build something, they need to make sure the area is not scientifically important. Uh, you could teach, you know, there's, there's so many options. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Actually, it's a kind of funny thing because I mean, not a lot of people actually know all the different opportunities with paleontology, like what you mentioned with like field surveyors, yeah. field, you know, field technicians and the museum preparator, the guy, you know, who sits behind us. A, a glass cage all, yeah. all day and prep fossils for guests. Um, yes, I uh, but, very uh, oversimplified I, the path to becoming a paleontologist, but that's like the general steps that you'd have to go through. Of course, there's paleontologists who actually didn't have a formal education in history, like um, Charles Sternberg, one of my favorite historical figures. He's a really cool guy. If you ever get a chance to read his autobiography, I highly recommend it. Um, it's available for free online, but he, he was not professionally trained um, and he didn't really go to like a college or anything, but he had so much field experience. He was like an authority on the fossils of North America. So, um, but nowadays, typically the, the thing is you have to get a really good education and um, there's so many different ways to do that. But the path that I laid out is the general direction that you're going to want to go. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, well, actually, I think that, that's a good point to bring up because there's two types of paleontology. Um, you have your academics, which, um, which if you want to become an academic paleontologist, you know, like a 
curator, a museum, or a or a uh, prof professor at a university or something. Um, that's the type you want to take. But then there's also the commercial paleontologists who like host gigs and stuff. Um, host gigs, um, kind of a, um, some of those other you know miscellaneous jobs out there, which there's a lot of. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunities on both sides of the spectrum Definitely. there. Um, but uh, in terms of, I think the, I I think um, I have like one really good piece of advice for anyone who's out there who's listening who wants to become a paleontologist or a really good natural science um, natural scientist. I think actually I'm gonna ask you first um, if you were to give one like one. If you were to tell someone in one sentence um, how to become a uh, good paleontologist or natural scientist, what would you say? Oh, hitting me with those really easy questions, huh? Um, hmm. I would say stay committed and focused and be really serious and, and uh, uh, work hard towards what you want. Um, because whether you you focus on the more academic or the commercial or the amateur aspect, there's there's a lot of reading and knowledge that you have to get. I mean, and then field experience as well. It's a great science because there's just so many um, options. If you're an outdoorsy person, oh, it's sure. great. If you're if you're more of like a a person who likes to read and research, there's avenues in paleontology for that. But yeah, stay committed, stay focused, and um, work hard because you know it's, it's it's becoming a more competitive field every day because there's more people getting into it and there's more opportunities opening up as well but still you got to be a really hard worker yeah um actually um my big piece of advice is um i think we can i think uh of course i'm not going to elaborate on it too much because i'm Again, this could be another like fifty yeah. episode that I could go into, but I'm not sure that. Um, and I think that the from what I've kind of experienced, um, personally, you gotta know people, you gotta be exposed, you gotta put your name out there. Um, I, and, and I think it's pure exposure, both on your part and just well, mostly on your part. Um, in terms of putting yourself out there and stuff, and all, but yeah, as well, being exposed to new research, going to museums all the time and stuff. Um, of course, I could relate to that a lot more um, because of all the people I've met over the years and stuff. The many companies I've, you know, spoke spoken with. Um, and really, I think, in, especially with um, paleontology, you just got to know people. You get the best way to succeed in paleontology is to, or really, again, you can relate this to any other science or career field you may want to pursue, but yeah, you just got to know people. You, you really just got to know people. And I think I'm just going to stop there because I, I'm going to go a lot <laughs> way more than I should. But uh, yeah, I think that kind of wraps it up for us. Today. Yeah, yeah. And um have me on for a part two or a part three or whatever at any time you want. Um, I really enjoy talking about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, I think that our next episode that you and I may go 
um, do together is actually, you know, more focus on a topic, but we'll talk about that. Um, kind of brainstorm some ideas. But if anyone else wants to hear certain ideas, um, shoot me a message or on Instagram. I totally forgot when we were talking about Instagram. Of course, you plug in your Instagram. I didn't even plug in my Instagram. It's Keeper Aiden on Instagram. Um, if you guys have any recommendations, um, topics you want to hear about, um, private message me over there. Um, let me know uh, what you guys want to hear on here, and we'll probably even go into it. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think yeah, that's right around it. So, uh, Andrew, thanks. It's been fun. We're gonna be doing this a lot more. Uh, but uh, yeah, that really concludes it for this episode of the Paleo Podcast, and we're almost in an hour. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's it. We'll be wrapping up this.